Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. Are you still listening? Good. Take a deep breath. You needed a break. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. So, yes, you can literally stream a stream. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. CBS Wednesday. We have so many cool, diverse people from different backgrounds, different beliefs, different upbringings, and it just keeps growing. Citizen of the United States. I'm a hustler. I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I'm the queen of the tribe. I am playing whatever role I gotta play. I'm gonna play this game full speed. I ain't going down like no punk. A new Survivor Wednesday on CBS and streaming on Paramount Plus. Coming strong with another edition of Longhorn Blitz with Horns 24/7. I am Jeff Howe sudden end of the 2023 season texas falls in the sugar bowl to washington 37 31 texas debut in the college football playoff is brief but exciting a lot to unpack and we'll do it all here on this week's episode of the blitz first off happy new year thank you everybody for your continued support of longhorn blitz we thank you so much this show would not be possible without you the listener so thank you for everything you do to make this podcast continue to happen. Let me bring in the rest of the team. He is the master of the soundboard, the drop machine extraordinaire, our lead research analyst on Longhorn Blitz, and a daily fantasy guru. He is Matt Butler. How are you, sir? Doing pretty well, man. How about you? Um, I'm doing very, very fine. And on this fine day, we go to the third member of our team. He wears many hats, but for the purposes of this podcast, he is our lockdown corner here on Longhorn Blitz. Lifetime Longhorn, 2002 UT All-American, 2002 semifinalist for the Jim Thorpe Award. Fourth-round draft choice of the New York Giants back in 2003. Spent his NFL career with the Giants, Lions, Bears, Bucks, Broncos, and a year with the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the CFL. When he was done with football, he got himself back to Austin, Texas, and the 40 Acres, where he earned his degree. Whenever that T-ring comes back in, we will make sure he wears it proudly. Nevertheless, he is a card-carrying member of DBU, and when you get that All-American honor recognized by the NCAA, they make sure you get one of those black cards. Number 21 in your program. Number one in your hearts, Mr. Rod Babers. I'm doing great, man. I appreciate the intro as always. Uh, excited about the show today. Yeah. Happy New Year, fellas. Haven't Happy gotten a chance to tell you guys that. Um, yep. Happy New Year. All right. Let's go ahead and get into it. Not Whichever one of y'all wants to, to take the baton from me and, and go first, feel, feel free. The further removed we get from the game, I have two thoughts. And really, it comes down to one. Washington's best players played best in this game. They 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 played better than Texas's best did. We're talking about Penix, Adunze, McMillan, Polk, Braylon Trice. Washington got what they needed out of their best players. Their best players delivered. And for Texas, the whole night, whether you're talking about execution, game planning, uh, you know, whatever it is. It just felt like a like a C to C plus night for Texas. Mm-hmm. So it, it was kind of a combination of nobody on that sideline is at their one hundred percent best, along with the fact that Washington got the guys to step up who they needed to step up. To me, that's in a nutshell what decided this game. Yeah, I think also something you know that I referenced earlier. I still think Texas overall, well, if you look at just roster, <laughs> Texas has more talent than Washington. Everybody's got more talent than Washington in the college football playoff. Mm-hmm. They, don't have, they don't have a five-star on the damn roster. Okay? They got more three-stars uh, on their roster uh, than than four-stars. And I think they, they have more three-stars on their roster than Texas has four-stars, if I'm not mistaken. So this is a team that's not with elite talent. So if you just look at that alone, blue-chip ratio, they're below 50%. Texas has more talent than they do. But they have three – they had – Three distinct advantages. Better quarterback, better head coach. And I know you say what you want about Sark. I, I like Sark. Sark's great. Texas has the right guy. But Kenny DeBoer won coach of the year, and Kenny DeBoer has a better record as a coach. Period. So you can argue you like Sark, but it would just be you saying you like Sark, not that he's a better head coach. You can't say that definitively than Kenny DeBoer. Most people would argue, based on record, Kenny DeBoer, better head coach. Just throwing it out there. Um, so better head coach, better uh, quarterback. And their strength, which is the best passing offense, arguably the best offense, period, in college football, but their best passing offense 
is specifically targeted at your biggest weakness. And mm-hmm. your biggest weakness is your pass defense. They got three NFL wide receivers. You don't necessarily have elite coverage specialists in your secondary. And that's why, you know, I, I framed it in that way. That that strength of theirs pinpointed at Texas weakness was the reason that they were able to eviscerate Texas defensively, period. And I think that's, to me, in addition to what you said, their best players, I mean, how did you, if you had a plan for Braylon Trice, then it didn't work. <laughs> Guy had two sacks, three tackles for loss, on top of the two sacks and two tackles for loss he had last year against Texas. <laughs> and he had a forced fumble this year. So the plan you have for Braylon Trice didn't work, but they're good coaches because they moved him around. So they're good coaches because they anticipated, well, they're going to have a plan for Brendan Trice. What do we do? Let's move him around. So they moved him around. Sometimes he was on the right, sometimes he was on the left, sometimes he was in the interior gaps. They moved their best player around, and it paid off. That was a great game plan. Um, I thought they would attack the Texas safeties. They didn't attack the corners. They attacked They attacked your best coverage specialists. What the hell are you going to yeah. do? I mean, they were going after Jaday Barron with a tight end. Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> I mean, that's, your best coverage specialist couldn't hold up against their wide receivers. There was no adjustment you could make schematically. Because what you would think is that they would go after the safeties. They did not. So they had a great game plan. We had not seen a defense uh, against Texas, period, have that much success getting their hands on the football at the line of scrimmage on RPO throws. Now, when you go back and you dissect and reverse engineer it, you realize, well, actually, Quinn does have a very low release point on his RPO throws. He does mm-hmm. sidearm them at times, too. Now, whether that's being lazy or just confident, he'll sidearm it and just looking for the open window. And I think Washington started on film and decided, all right, you know what? We're going to knock off some of these RPO throws. How is Texas going to attack us? You got to self-scout first to figure that out. How, how would I attack my, my team if I was Steve Sarkeesian? Well, you want to throw in early downs because their pass defense on early downs is bad, and you want to do that with RPO throws. That's exactly what Texas did. They were ready for it. They blocked four or five passes at the line of scrimmage. I haven't seen any team get their hands on that many passes because I think the coaches were telling them if you're not going to get home, which you won't, on RPO throws because they're a quick game plus the run game, then get your hands up. And they did, and they did it successfully right in the passing windows for Texas. That was huge. Why was it huge? It threw Texas out of rhythm. Texas not only combined with the penalties being their own worst enemy, they worked behind the chains constantly. I said, stay out of third and longs. They were in third and longs, seven plus yards to gain on third down over 54% of the time in that game, guys. Over half the time, they were in third and long. That's the wrong place to be against um, Washington. Why? Because Washington uses, uses amoeba fronts, ghost fronts with simulated pressures at a top 10 rate in college football with lots of twists and stunts. And what do they do against Texas? Lots of twists and stunts, simulated pressures, amoeba fronts on second and long and third and long. And then they started run blitzing on the early downs late in the game so that they could force Texas in the third and long. And the one saving grace for Sark was take what they're giving you. And I love Sark. Sark is great. But once again, and I told you guys this, about the first uh, rewatch of the Alamo Bowl, the broadcaster said they talked to the defensive coordinator of Washington, and he said, repeat, that Sark doesn't have the patience to march down the field with the underneath passing game. Now, that was last year, yeah. and he was right because Sark wanted to take those deep shots down the field, and every time they did that, if you defended them, then Texas behind the chains, and that's when Washington defense is at their best. This time, they tested Sark's patience on a different level. They gave him the run. They gave him the run. They mm-hmm. dropped back guys in the passing game. That's why they kept batting balls down because they would give you the run, give you the numbers advantage in the RPO game. You hand the ball off, and then you could take it. They would get chunk yards plays, but when the Texas tried to throw it, when they were dropping guys back, that means that um, Quinn miscalculated the count or they gave him a false count in the box. Either way, they would drop guys back, allocate resources to coverage, and then Texas would be outnumbered, essentially, and they would get their hands on footballs or they would deflect footballs. So, honestly, the truth is Sark should have taken the run game in the second quarter when he was averaging more yards per rush than yards per attempt. He did not. He was still stubborn about throwing the football on early downs, which I agreed with. But once you realize your game plan ain't working, that's when a good coach, a great coach, needs to pivot. Sark yeah. can do that. He stuck with the script, and that script got him in trouble because he was given the run game, and he didn't take it. That was the best way to keep Washington off the field, on the bench, and the best way to move the football was sustained drives for you. He didn't do it, and the third quarter blew up in his face, and then pretty much the game was over after that. 
Yep, no, you hit everything like perfectly right there, Rod, because, you know, at the beginning of the game, I mean, it, you can really look at uh, just the first series on each side of the ball and the handful of things that played out, and, and it was emblematic of what was to come because, you know, like you mentioned the RPOs, and then we saw the ability on those RPOs. They were reading the eyes. It wasn't even as if they were necessarily spying Quinn. They were spying knowing that Texas runs those RPOs, and I think it was – maybe Hampton who batted down the first ball when he jumped up. I mean, he's sitting there just playing the eyes of Quinn jumping up, knowing the timing of the throws that they're going to be out quick. So don't just run yourself out of the play. And by rushing the passer, read those eyes. And then also on those opening series, it was emblematic with both sides of the ball committing procedural penalties to start the game. You had majors with the false start to open on one side. You had Sorrell lining up offside on the next one. We saw Texas shoot themselves in the foot throughout the entire game. But what does that happen where you start off a series by getting a little off schedule? Then you'd help them out by staying on schedule. We talk about, you know, passing on early downs. Well, in those RPOs, I texted y'all some of the numbers. Washington's one of the worst teams in the country defending the run on RPOs. And that's where the patience, say, of Sark of taking the run throughout the game may, maybe wasn't there because when you look at all the overall runs, I mean, it's like 9.3 per carry. You had 6.6 for Blue. You had 6.9 for Baxter. Quinn over 10, understanding what he was saying. But those first couple of series on those RPOs, we were going with the pass, which they batted down, I believe, like almost it seemed like the first three. You had a lot of mistakes that were putting yourself behind the chains. When he actually ran a play, I mean, you were overcoming third, like long distant plays. There was and 12s and 20s. Texas was picking up the yardage needed to get the conversion or to force an and short to come up. But it didn't matter because you committed another penalty. So the yardage was there. The run game, all game was there. I thought McElroy did a good job of pointing that out, that Texas needs to stick with the run. And that's when Texas, even though you knew that you could connect on some of these pass plays, and we showed it in the fourth quarter, not being able to just sustain a drive and be able to keep those chains moving, one of our own mistakes would then set us behind it. And it was just a vicious cycle where I was so amazed we were still even tied 21-21 and it was feeling as if man if we can get out of our own way can really have a chance to win this thing and we really did at the end it's just there were so many either procedural mistakes and then on top of it little tiny things that are seem like individual details on one play but when they happen over and over and over again those are things that happened on because of the scouting report and understanding who you're facing and Washington, that was a well, well, well coached game and well scouted game on their end. Yeah, uh, Rod, to your point, I made a comment in the press box in the first half that Washington's defense, they weren't defending the RPO. They were just defending the PO, just the pass option. They didn't give a damn about defending the run on an RPO. They were just, they were just focused on getting like a passing that. lanes. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Like they were, yep. if if you watched if you watch their second level defenders, like they made no effort to read the run. They're just reading Quinn the entire way. Yeah, mm -hmm. I agree with that. I talked to Coach Shipley. He said the same thing. Coach Bob Shipley said the reason their RPO didn't work is they didn't play the run. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they they just driving back playing the pass. And just what you said, too. So uh, your eyes and Coach Shipley, eyes, you got Coach's eyes, Joe, because that's exactly what's going on. I, I appreciate that. That makes me feel better. Uh, what doesn't make me feel better, though, and, and I told you guys kind of in my, in my meat-headed nature, um, I wanted Texas to run the football because I felt like the run game would be there. And it was there. And, mm -hmm. you know, Rod, to your point, I couldn't have said it better, man. Sark just didn't have the patience or the, I'm not going to say wherewithal, but for whatever reason, he just didn't want to run the football. And, man, if you take out the sack yardage, like, do you realize Texas averaged 7.3 a carry? Well, sack well, and after the sack, well, and out of after the sack yards, it's nine point three a carry. It's twenty rushes <laughs> for one hundred eighty-seven yards, according to PFF. Like I mentioned them a second ago, is six for sixty-three for Quinn, Jaden Blue nine for fifty-nine, Baxter nine for sixty-two. You have the one-yard touchdown run by Murphy, bringing down the average, and then Whittington had one for two. So if you take out the Murphy touchdown, which you only had the upside of one yard, hell, we have another run that was similar to that on a touchdown. That's 19 for 186. Like, that's right at 10 per pop. 
and you were throwing to the oh, backside. Man. I mean, we saw the 21 personnel, that second drive, when we came out that 21 mm -hmm. personnel, I texted both of y'all. And I was like, oh, this looks potent. Because they first drive, they were out there in 12. And then that's I was like, oh, here it goes. Texas is going to pound them with this run. I was so – I was citing Rod's stats. I was like, this is our most potent personnel package. It's eight-plus yards per play all season. They're going to go. They marched right downfield. But they still did go more 20 than they had, say, in some of the other games. But it just was that, like you said, the patience and not just choosing to run the ball all game. Yeah, I don't know why he. It, it, they ran. They ran their pony package. I think seven plays on the second drive of the game. They scored, so it was in his script. By the way, we got to talk about Sark's script that has gone from twenty plays to forty plays. The hell is that? I was um, thinking it's twenty twenty on each half, but yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, the woman said it's forty plays. I'm like, 40 I know plays. Well, maybe that's help. That's hurting your ability to adjust. <laughs> it's supposed to be just troubleshooting. I mean, I think Bill Walsh was like fifteen to twenty. On Sark said forty, but anyway, I digress. Um, I don't know why, after running the pony package, scoring a touchdown in your second drive, and averaging oh, with 10, they oh, 10 yards per play on that drive, he only went back to it two more times the whole game. Two more times the whole game. Now, I'm not saying you got to make it your bread and butter. I'm not saying run it 30 times, but God, you ran it nine times total and averaged over 10 yards per play. Hey, I got I got a, a saying. I, I honestly I, thought it was more. That's surprising. That surprised me because it felt like they ran it a little more. But I trust no, your numbers. Nine times. I trust your two, numbers. Yeah, he ran it two more times total after they ran it on that drive. And I because I, I was doing an in-game live watch with on text football. I kept saying, run it, run it. They never ran it. And they ran it two more times. And it was still pretty damn successful when they ran it the two more times. They had four passes off foot. They were four four. <laughs> So, yeah, they were just runs out of it. They were passing. They were they were four or four passing the football out of it. Yeah, uh, I uh, over eight yards per rush running the football out of Pony and didn't even run it ten plays. And this is my problem with Sark. I love Sark. I think he's great. Yeah, he is the guy. He's the right guy for the job. But this is why I tell people he still got a groin to do, man. Still got some groin to do because you run that Pony package. You see how successful it is. And yet you are so committed to your script, so committed to whatever you had game plan for that game. You decide, well, I only said I was going to run it nine times. That's it. I'm done. Like, what? I got. I, yeah. I don't think Stark likes leftovers. There's no leftovers in his fridge. He doesn't watch reruns of really good shows <laughs> like The Office or Seinfeld. You're right. You're right? right. Because this guy, will, and he don't like to play the hits. So I'm, he only likes new music. He don't like old, old good stuff because he won't play the hits. Play the hits, man. If it's a leftovers, it's just sometimes leftovers are better. Then yes. the first time you had it, Sark doesn't realize that. And my thing was, I've been saying this for years, play the hit, Sark, when it works the first time, force them to stop it again. If they do, oh, well, then throw it out. But he will run a play or run a personnel package or a concept, and it can be tremendously successful, and you won't see it again. I want yeah. leftovers, man. I want reruns. Play the hits. What are you doing? <laughs> Yep, no, you're right, and I, as I said, I trusted your numbers, and I pulled the snaps, and it's 44 and 38. That's 82 snaps, and there's 73 plays. That means there's nine plays of overlap, and that's it. That actually stuns me that he only did it twice more. I wonder if that's something that, like, because, you know, when you're – we've talked about, you know, being a head coach and being a coordinator, and there is a lot on his plate. Now, the elite coaches at the highest of levels can do those things – but you can also maybe just get lost in the sauce. And I bet when he looks back on paper and is like, wait, I didn't run that again, basically, for the rest of the game after that drive. I bet that's something he deeply regrets. It's just unfortunate. That's where, like, you, all those analysts, all the people upstairs, all, you know, like, that's where that has to be reiterated. Even though Sark's the offensive guru that runs everything, that's something that at halftime they need to give him a report. And he's like, hey, man, we didn't bring it back. Maybe bring back that pony package. Exactly. You know, I, I just I heard about the the forty play script bit, and the as the more I think about it, I kind of got two two a couple different things that pop up. One, if you're really let's say let's take the the term scripting forty plays. How many of that is you've scripted your initial script? You've scripted goal line. You've scripted your first red zone series, short yards, whatever. Mm -hmm. So maybe some of the scripting is situationally gets to forty. Okay. That's true. That's a good point. On the other hand, though, let's say let's say it's not. Let's say he's really scripting the first forty plays. That's too damn many, right? And honestly, Rod. If Sark does script more plays than like the 
know, 12 to 15, which is what most offensive coordinators do, that would explain a lot why it's not that Sark I've come around on Sark on this point. I don't think Sark is bad at in-game adjustments. I just think sometimes he waits too long to make the adjustment. And if he's scripting, whether it's 40 or whatever arbitrary number you want to throw out, if he's scripting that many plays before he gets off the script, that would explain a lot to me why sometimes he's slow to make the adjustment. Agreed. But didn't he go from 20 to 40? Because when he first got here, he said it was 20. When he first got here, I remember him saying, I got 20 play script because we we referenced it. Yeah. So he yeah. went from 20 to 40. In, in a matter of three years, he, he decided to change it. So if he changed it, why did he change it? I think he changed it because of the late game collapses, his inability to adjust. And I think he, it, it, it got as rudimentary as him saying, you know what, if my 20 play script is really that damn good, why don't I feel 40 of them and see if I can keep my team from imploding like a dying star? Yeah. In the second half of these games, and I don't know. I'm not saying that that right that works. That's just my hypothesis. So why would you go from 20 to 40? Yeah, right. no, I agree that that could be a big part of it. And also, you know, we always talk about like in in football, you don't want to go and just like basically die, live and die by your scouting report. In like statistics, it's talking about don't be too loyal to your priors. You know, your priors mean something. But, like, if you script out 40, that's basing it off of your scouting report of what mm, they've shown. Yeah. And there's a whole part of aspect. These good coaching staffs also understand, man, there's going to be some stuff you don't see. And those are the things that, like Jeff was saying, you need to adjust to. And you can't base everything off of what you've seen. Therefore, like, if maybe you do have the script for all these situations, like Jeff also mentioned, goal line, say, uh, short yardage say third and long is a script scenario maybe uh when you get into plus territory like say we give them you know an extra four plays for each of those in the 20 you still have 25 maybe 30 plays that you're talking about are scripted and if you're going to exhaust all those before adjusting it means you really aren't watching what's happening there therefore you're only basing it off of previous tendencies and we talk about tendency breakers and coaches being at the elite level those are the guys that do those things they not only say on defense use your rules against you but understand you put stuff on tape and then if you have that self-scouting and understanding that well they maybe are going to attack us this way we're going to do something different like how many other teams are so rpo heavy that they're like no don't even worry about getting to quinn Quinn gets it out in 2.5 seconds. We're going to sit back and read those eyes. Well, I mean, an RPO pump fake and then going deep or something, get back to your shot plays. Like things along those lines that could come from you picking up on these first 10 plays. They're doing this. That wasn't accounted for in my script. Let's adjust to it. Yeah. Good stuff. Yeah. It, it, um, and the reason, look, it, this might sound like we're nitpicking, but to me it's warranted because – this isn't, you know, playing TCU in the 10th game of the season. This is a freaking national semifinal. You you needed to be, if you're Sark and the staff, you need to be at your best. And I don't, I'm not gonna say they were garbage. They were terrible. Uh, but I don't think they were at their best. Was, yeah. Like I said, it, it felt the whole deal for Texas, it just felt like it felt like a C plus type game. Like it was good. You know, Matt, kind of what you're talking about to put it kind of in layman's terms, it's it's kind of like copying somebody's math homework or not having to show your work, like having the, uh, the teacher's yeah. edition of the math book. Like, yeah, yeah, you, you, you have the answer and, and you're going to get the answer, right. But what are you really learning just by copying down the work? Right. You're not yeah. by, what by, about the process is yeah. making you get to that by removing yourself from the process. You're not learning anything. So if you're, you know, and look, I'm just assuming until, at this you're, point, but, until you're at the after the script scenario. Yeah. If your face is just buried in a call sheet because you've got these scenarios scripted out, then are you paying attention to the game or are you leaning too much on, on whoever's in the press box? Like, I don't know, man. It's just yeah, my mind's going a lot of different places because it just it the whole thing, Rod, it just offensively, especially just felt like it was a half step off all night. Yeah. No, I think, I think uh, as we pointed out, Washington had a really good game plan. They broke tendency and they worked on some of their key issues like tackling on screens and stuff like that, that had been an issue for them. Um, but I also think you're right, Jeff. 
about Sark waiting too late to make some of those adjustments. Mm-hmm. And we saw it in this game, right? The second quarter was when you're supposed to make that adjustment about running the football. You, you're supposed to recognize earlier than everybody else, man, my defense can't hold up. My DBs can't cover these guys. I need to keep my defense off the field and keep that offense off the field. We got to run the ball. Mm-hmm. The hell with throwing, going down and throwing. We got to run the ball because actually I'm not even sure if based on the way my offensive passing game is going, I'm not sure if we can score. Score for score in a shootout with Washington. Okay, with all those things being considered, pivot. Pivot. What's working for you? The run game's working. They're giving it to you. Okay, you know what? We got big humans. We got good running backs. Let's run the rock. That helps us solve a lot of problems. What I say, coaches are problem solvers. We can solve the problem by having our defense overexposed. We can solve the problem by keeping their offense off the field. We can solve the problem about getting Quinn in a rhythm because the offense is not in a rhythm because we're not moving the ball, getting first downs. We're running the football. We'll be able to do that. And then we can make we can we can de-emphasize. Quinn struggles. I think the layoff hurt Quinn too. I think the layoff helped a guy like Michael Penix because I heard he was hurt and injured. I think the layoff hurt a guy like Quinn because he was so hot and he had his best game ever coming off of that game against Oklahoma State. So I just think Sark waited too late because he waited until the third quarter to try to run the ball. By then, your 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 running backs were fumbling. Right? They were yeah. they were putting together long sustained drives to keep you off the field. They were playing keep away from you. Mm-hmm. You should have been playing keep away from them first. In the second quarter, but they play keep away from you. In the third quarter, you got five plays, um, multiple turnovers. I think one of the turnovers was at the beginning of the fourth. But either way, you missed an entire quarter of football. They played four quarters. You played three because of the way they handled the third quarter. That should have been you in the second quarter. Yeah, they basically they should have saw the ball like five to ten times total in the second quarter. You should have been running it down their throat. They would have adjusted. Oh man, we can't let them do this. Let's put extra guys in the box. We got to take a chance of leaving our DBs on an island. That's the adjustment. Boom. And then, like Matt says, then you take your shots down the field because they're going to be open because they're going to be wide open with one on one shots. Wide first read, wide window throws, which is what Quinn's really good at. So I just think Sark waited too late for that. Waited too late to make that adjustment. I think you're you're right. Uh, Jeff, it's he waited too late. He, he wanted to do it in the, in the third quarter, started running the football, but it was too late. You were already down, all right. So you had to abandon the run because you were down, and also it, b- because of the turnovers and the, the few plays that you had in the third quarter, you were already working from a severe disadvantage. And then after the CJ Baxter fumble, uh, now it's a 10 point game. And you know, if you look at the fourth quarter, uh, Rod, to your point about the run blitzes, that was when Washington started to get Texas in some third and longs. Uh, your pass attempts, you had 23 official pass attempts, uh, seven official rushing attempts in the fourth quarter, because by that point, okay, now you're down when you're down double digits in the second half. Now you're working against the clock is as big of an enemy as anything else you've got on the field. So mm-hmm. you, you really can't run the ball at that point to your point, Rod. But Rod, I went back just to, to look at, uh, some of the numbers you were talking about earlier. And I didn't realize that in the first quarter, Texas averaged the same amount of yards per rushing attempt as they did yards per pass attempt. Exactly. 6.3. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Sark. You know, at that point you go, all right, guys, all right, our game plan, you know, screw the game plan. Right now, what's working? And that's what that's my thing about Sark. I, I do think he's a little too obsessed with his script and with that opening game plan. It's great for the first quarter, but that first quarter is for troubleshooting. That first quarter is for feeling out how they're trying to exploit you, how they're trying to attack yeah. you. And that's why I think at times he struggles with the chess matches in the game, the battle of adjustments. They were great. I mean, Washington's coach staff is out coach Texas. I'm not saying total staff Texas should have been embarrassed about uh, their coaching adjustments, but they, they lost the coaching battle. They lost the battle of game plan and preparation, and they lost the battle of adjustments, period. Yeah, and those, you know, the game plan and adjustment – aspect is so big because both are equal for a coach to be at that elite level and you know you got to love the script but like it's something that I've heard us talk about you know in previous uh seasons like watching Shanahan coach like a lot of times like I, I think back to the Eagles game this year they were down by like 14 the first quarter it's almost like some of those coaches in, aren't going to put it all out there at the beginning because of the value of understanding that you're watching and adapting it's something that if you watch NBA LeBron James will have very, very slow first quarters. Same with Chris Paul. But by the fourth quarter, they understand everything that's coming to them and what the opposing team's doing to them. So then you're able to sort of just be lost in like that Neo in the Matrix and understanding what's happening to you to where if you get so immersed inside, say, 
your script, your observations when the early part of the game that could be very valuable maybe aren't being done or as thorough because you're actually so focused on getting your script out there. And you can always have those plays on the script available for later if you do want to abort the script for the time being and go from there. Right. Yeah, because my thing with Stark is – sorry, real quick. Because when you – after the first quarter, just like the stats that uh, Jeff just brought up, that's when you should go, oh, man, we definitely got to pivot to go to the run. But Stark didn't do that, right? Stark kind of stayed mm -hmm. on the script and stayed with the game plan. The same thing happened with empty formation. Now, empty formation in this game, I believe they ran six plays of empty, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and they were 80% completion percentage. Only one sack. The first play they ran out of empty was a sack. God, they got three explosive plays out of empty, including the Jordan Whittington deep ball on that last drive. Empty was working. But what did I tell you guys? Empty worked last year. Last year was mm -hmm. like what a circumstance and necessity because they didn't have healthy running backs. Uh, you know, post B. John and Rojo, Jalen uh, Jonathan Brooks was dealing with an injury. Uh, Jaden Blue didn't play at all, and Keenan Robinson was uh, insufficient as a main horse running back. So they went with empty formation more than they did in any game all season long last year. And Quinn came out of his shell. He was great, over eighty-five percent completion percentage. He had several explosive plays, uh, including one that he was running the football. It was great, and I thought, okay, maybe it was situational or circumstance or a necessity or maybe it is something that Washington is vulnerable to based on the stats that I have now at the two games it seems like it's something that Washington was just vulnerable to I mean it seems like something that would have worked that allowed an 85% completion percentage in the two games out of empty formation or at least defending it over 11 yards per attempt defending empty formation uh, you, you even had five explosive plays out of the 14 total plays that you had yeah. 15 total plays five of them were explosive plays guys it worked it worked, yeah. it worked last that year. means it you're getting one was, each he, didn't see it. He, he doesn't see it in real time you gotta see it in real time that it's working it was working before the Jordan Whittington play but you didn't see it so i'm i'm confused like do you need somebody next to you like me not me but somebody next to you going <laughs> hey, hey 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 come back 10 yards per play 10 yards per play go back to it go like yep. i don't know and i don't get it but those concepts are working your two minute drill were working you could have yeah. came back to the tempo after the after the, the first half you go damn they can't cover tempo and they didn't mm -hmm. in the end of the game either. They mm -hmm. couldn't defend yep. in the end of the game. So your two-minute drill type, the offense was working. You should have went more tempo. If you're going to pass it, let's go tempo with it. There were things that could have given Texas a little bit of an advantage, and I just don't think Sark saw it. So the truth is, Texas had no schematic advantage in that game, guys. They got no, in what? that game, get back in it, without a schematic advantage. So not only is the, the roster going to get better, but Sark's going to get better, and that's why yeah. I am really optimistic because he he will improve. He He's already proven that, you know, he can evolve, man the mirror moment. He had to figure out the three high, three down defense. Remember, I was big on that. You got to figure that out if you're going to win the Big 12 because half your damn game is going to be against that scheme. He mm -hmm. figured it out. Well, at least he has an antidote for it. He's got a formula for it. I need him to start being better at these in-game adjustments, noticing the little trends and patterns within the game, the chess masters in the game. He's still not mm -hmm. yet a chess master. But he's definitely improving and getting better. But there are small little things, man, that could have given Texas an advantage in this contest, and he just wasn't tracking it. Yeah, yeah no, it, it's you pointed out perfect there with the script, right? Like, literally need, like, a quick intermission to somebody just point it out to him. It's like, oh, well, but, you know, right now, empties. if you're talking about five explosives out of 14 plays, do that's, the math that's there. That's guys. one every three. That's, that's every guys, single – yeah, yeah that's – Every single set of downs that you get, like you're getting an explosive, that's a first down. You look at the rush yards per play, you're getting almost 10 per pop. That's where like the uh, analysts on the staff need to be able to interject those things to have him maybe put a pause in the middle. It's like, no, wait, but we have these super pockets of potency. We need to make sure that you know about this. And we might want to throw those in till they stop it, till they adjust. And then we can get back to our script if they adjust. I like that. Pockets of potency. That's good. Yep. Oh, again, looking at the numbers in the second quarter, yards per rushing attempt, 6.6. .6, you're 8 for 53. Yards per pass attempt, 4.9. <laughs> you know, and then Each quarter. I, you know, I, I give I give my colleague, I get I give Chip around a hard time sometimes because Chip is always banging the drum. Run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. Boys, there was a point in that second quarter where I was like, Chip, you know, I usually don't agree with you on this, but they need to run the damn ball. <laughs> like, run the damn ball. You know, I, you could see it, man. Like, And it wasn't just that, you know, 
hey, Rod, it goes back to that thing that I, I talked about that I, I heard from a coach one time, the, the who gets effed pie, right? You draw yeah. it up. Like, who, <laughs> where am I allocating my resources? This position group, you're, you're getting effed this week because you ain't got no help. It's like they basically told that that defensive line, like, hey, y'all y'all got the the short, the small piece on the who gets effed pie this week. Like, yeah, y'all ain't getting no help. So unless y'all can unless y'all can win at the point of attack, uh, you know, hey, sorry, we 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 ain't gonna have much to offer in the way of help. And man, credit the Texas offensive line, dude, because they, you know, that Washington could have just played them with a static front, and, and they did move pre snap and and did some tried to do some different things, but. Uh, the, I credit the Texas offensive line for just actually getting a really good push, moving people off the ball, climbing to the second oh, yeah. level. Um, man, it was, I don't know, Rod, like Sark wants to, it's frustrating because we know Sark wants to play with the physical edge. We've seen him do it. We've even seen him try to like, you know, the bowl game last year, try to establish the run and it was there. It was actually there. They were willing to give you the run. And yep. for whatever reason you didn't take it. That's that's what frustrates me is I would have just I would have gotten uh CJ Baxter and Jaden Blue. I'd have got those guys lathered up early. And you know, for those guys to to for neither one of them to finish that game with double digit carries, something seriously wrong with that. I know they both had a fumble and the Baxter fumble that might have been Sark, see, I told you moment when you start the third quarter, you think, okay, we're yeah. going to this rock. And then on the first play of the second half, Cedric Baxter has a great eight-yard run, and then he fumbles. Yeah, that definitely, you can tell, that frustrated Sark, because he had yeah. back-to-backs, right? You had both your running backs fumble. I think at that point, Sark was like, see, damn it, that damn run game. I never wanted to run it anyway. Yeah. And I'll throw this out there, too, um, to, to that point that you just brought up about, you know, Texas averaging – more rushing yards in the second quarter than they were uh, yards per pass attempt. It, the thing about if you're averaging, I think in the game they averaged over six yards per rush total. In the first half, running back runs were averaging close to eight yards per rush. Like they were, you were gashing them, guys. They were behind the, they were in third and double digits. I want to say they had eleven third downs, half, more than half of those. Six of those eleven were third and long, third and seven plus yards to gain. And I want to say guys like four or five of them with third and 10 plus yards to go. Like yeah. between the penalties and between Texas getting behind the chains with batted passes or just, you know, incompletions on first down, they were constantly behind the chains. How the hell do you end up in third and 10 plus and third and long 54% of the time when you're averaging over six yards per rush in a game? How yeah. do they end up with the time? What was the time of possession for them? They don- I'll get it right. They dominated time of possession on Texas. Thirty-six like- minutes and twenty seconds. How do you get? How does your opponent get thirty-six minutes of time of possession when you're averaging over six yards per, over six and a half yards per rush? <laughs> and they're averaging nothing. When you look at the numbers, <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you look at just Washington uh, running the ball, like before contact was absurd, both the line of scrimmages, when you look at true run plays, it was 30 for 102, according to PFF, which is 3.4 per carry. But they had 80 after contact. We're talking about at the line of scrimmage, they were getting 20 before contact off of 30 rushes. So that's 0.73 yards before contact. Conversely, Texas, because Texas – uh, their 20 rushes, it was 92 yards before contact. Texas averaged 4.6 yards before contact Jeez. per rushing play. Yeah, because PFF has overall numbers 20 for 187. Now, those account for Quinn's scramble yards, too, because he gives himself up and doesn't have contact. But still, if you take those 63 out of it off of his six, you have 14 for roughly 30. That's more than two Per so, and that's adding in Murphy and Whittington. Wow. So, if you look at Baxter and Blue after contact was 45 and 28, they combined for 121. So, quickly in my head, math that's like a 48 yards, they had 18 carries. So, they're averaging well over two and a half between two and a half, three yards before contact. And then Baxter averaged 3.1 per carry after, and Blue averaged five per carry after that's how you end up having each of them average 6.6 and 6.9 yards per carry it just seemed like the the offense as a whole was was slipping gears the whole night and 
uh, you know, the best example I can give you guys of that is you look at the drive Washington scores late in the third quarter to go up. Actually, I take that back. It's a field goal early in the fourth quarter. They go up by 13 and Texas gets the ball and you have to start at that point. If you're Washington, you're maybe playing a little more prevent. You're playing a little deeper. Uh, you know, you're willing to give up some things. Your play sequence, you get the ball starting at your own 16, which, by the way, another adjustment I don't understand. I don't understand why they – if you want to take Jaden Blue off kickoff return, fine. But putting Keelan Robinson back there with a broken hand didn't make a whole lot of sense to me, especially <laughs> how much trouble he had fielding the ball. Um, yes. But I digress. You had Jaden Blue for five, uh, Ewers to Sanders for 15, Ewers to Sanders for 21, Ewers to Blue for 19, and then a fumble. So it's like once you finally – like that was a drive pretty much – uh, the only drive before that that you had really gotten in a rhythm was the two-minute drive right before the half. Like, it was working, and then you turned the ball over. So it's like you you just – when you finally – when you made adjustments and you dialed up the right plays and they were executed, you, you committed a penalty or turnover something that, where you just couldn't get out of your own way. Mm-hmm. Yep. They have their own worst yep. enemy. And it started early. Maybe even Stark said they started out anxious. He said, my guys were anxious. Maybe they had a penalty on the first drive offensively. Penalty on the first drive defensively. It was an offsides. So they, you know, Texas, I think the layoff really hurt Texas. I'll just be honest. I think the layoff for this uh, program that hadn't been there before, and they did a great job um, earning this opportunity. This was a great team, by the way. I'm um, going to yeah. keep saying that. And I really actually, uh, I rewatched the loss with joy in my heart. I really never do that. Usually I'm, I'm angry and frustrated. Uh, I've rewatched it three times. Not rewatched, but I've watched that game three times. Probably the only human being on the planet, by the way. Just watch that much because players, by the way, players don't watch bowl games, guys. Right. I never watched a bowl game with the team, even as a as a freshman or a sophomore. You don't watch bowl games with the team. You don't rewatch it. The coaches may rewatch it. They're gonna rewatch it, but the players don't rewatch it really, yeah. unless you rewatch it. I didn't go back and rewatch my bowl games until decades later on YouTube. Right? So yeah. That's because play, you're done with the season and you're moving on to stuff. Either going to the league or you're thinking about next season. Guys, don't go back and watch the film and break that down. But anyway, I digress. Um, I do think the layoff hurt Texas. I think them being celebrated for a month hurt them. Yeah, I think I think Washington came in there with a chip on their shoulder. It was oh yeah, Michael Penix had that Vince chip. It was good for them going on the road because they they're they're that team that thrives as an underdog, right? They're undefeated as an underdog. I believe Kalen DeBoer six and one as an underdog as a Group of Five or Power Five coach. That is the best underdog uh, record, by the way. Um, win percentage record, by the way, since 1990 for any coach. He's the best underdog coach in college football in 30-something years. And they mm-hmm. love being an underdog because they got that dog. All right, Penny's got that dog in him. So does Romo Dunze. So does Braylon Trice. I think it hurt Texas having that layoff and having everybody celebrate them. That's what we did. Celebrate yeah. them for, for three weeks. And it seemed like they didn't have – the Texas didn't have a chip on the show. Remember the F round and find out? Remember yeah. the chip on the mm-hmm. show they had against Tech, right? The chip yep. on the show they had against yep. Iowa State because the young man was talking trash. Texas yep. played like that the last three weeks of the season or so. They played like a team that had a chip on their shoulder, had something to prove. They played angry. They played a little pissed off. And I think it, it helped them. It played to a standard and not to their competition. Well, I think that that edge flipped to Washington in this game. And I think Texas having the home field advantage, pretty much the home region advantage, and having all their fans in town. I mean, hell, dude, dude, Texas took over New Orleans. That yes. was a mm-hmm. that was a that was a burnt orange uh, revival. Right? Mm-hmm. That was a fellowship, a uh, uh, unprecedented fellowship of Texas. So they took over that city. And when you, what do you think they did when they took over that city? They celebrated Texas football. They yeah. celebrated the players. Yeah. And you're supposed to, by the way, that ain't your job to worry about focusing. But I do think it's the players being celebrated like that for a month. Was the last time Texas football got celebrated like that for a month? Straight, how oh, great they are, how awesome they are. Man, you guys are amazing. Man, you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Man, it's so straight. Man, you're awesome. You're gonna beat Washington. How how cocky and arrogant were Longhorn fans? You're gonna beat why? Oh, watch the defense sucks. I'm just saying they were really arrogant and they were really cocky about fans were that Texas was gonna beat them. And I think when they're loving on their Longhorn fans, you know, they that materialized. I think that came to the forefront. I think Texas played like they were a team that was celebrated. They played like a team without a chip on their shoulder. 
I can see that for sure, especially like uh, the way that Texas blew out Oklahoma State and you had like, you know, the big ceremony up on the field, you know, and had a trophy presentation and you presented right there, Rod, the consecutive weeks in a row because not only after the TCU game when you knew you had to get a big win against a team that beat you at home and messed everything up last year, but Iowa State and then the Tech and the Big 12 commissioner to where I can totally – I hadn't sort of seen it until you presented it that way but you're totally right and like while I was watching Penix who by the way is like literally the closest thing to a left-handed Joe Burrow that we've seen in college football like his presence in the pocket to avoid pressure I don't I honestly don't know if I've ever seen a quarterback throw so well with his eyes downfield and not having he can see the rush he just doesn't look at it he feels it and he moves just fluid as hell and understand like you there were so many pressures and he just squirted out to wherever he needed to to make the throw but getting back to the situation with texas in the bowl game it was like even though they acted as if like say they were the team that was a favorite for the first time without that chip on the shoulder whenever that game was playing out and the way texas made so many mistakes and had it there to win and came up so short i was thinking in my mind i was like this isn't a blowout to oklahoma the way that rod had those teams that got motivated the entire offseason i know that if i was one of the players on the field with knowing that you had that game, you could have won that game. If you just played your normal game, if you didn't constantly have mistakes be made via turnovers, via penalties, things left and right, that just, if you play your normal game, you probably win. That could eat you up all of season and be one of those things that can motivate you to be really hungry to finish that job next year. The way that you could tell Penix and his crew had that type of hunger post, non-winning the Heisman and I'm wanting to prove that they had the chip and they, he deserved it and they want to get this championship for him. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny. <laughs> we taught, we can say all this and then all the, uh, you know, all the things that went wrong at the end of the day, man, this is still a team that, you know, come hell or high water. And, and it was crazy the way it happened. They've got the ball at the 12 yard line at the plus 12 of 15 seconds Jeez. left and a chance to win the game. And you couldn't have asked for much more than that at that point, considering the way the game went. I, I think there's two things to that point. Rod, you mentioned it earlier. I think there's no question. This is one of the most talented rosters in college football, and it will be again next year uh, if you know you get certain pieces back. So I think it sh- shows you how freaking talented this team is to do to have all that go wrong for you in a national semifinal, and you still manage to put yourself in a position to win the ball game. Granted, you had to have some breaks, but whatever, you, you were in a position to win the ball game. Uh, I think it says it says that about this team. I also think it says uh, if if anybody on that roster, anybody in that organization had any doubt about whether or not Texas belonged in the college football playoff, whether they belong, whether they were right to call themselves national title contenders, that doubt should be removed completely after this game because there's no question Texas Texas in 2023 had what it took to win a national championship. It, it, just, it just didn't work out. Yeah, they didn't play their best football um, at the on the biggest stage. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. But I, I agree. I mean, I talk about the football character of this team all the time. The fact that they were in the game late, and I predicted it would come down to the last possession. I just thought Texas would be on the winning end of that last possession. But, yeah, I mean, they got great football character. Uh, that's really I love, I love about this team. Great football character. And the football culture is evident, and it's obvious. When in a game like this, they play a C game, um, lot, make a lot of mistakes, their own worst enemy in a lot of ways, and yet still find a way to make this a game and give themselves a chance late. And yes, Washington, they, they tried their best right, to give this game up late down the stretch with and the football guys did. And then, yeah, exactly. Kalen DeBoer handing off the football, let you know that, Hey, Kalen DeBoer's coach of the year. And I guaranteed us and Washington fans going, what the hell was he doing? Handing off the football. All right. Late in the game when he could have just kneeled it and then the game would have been over. But you know, coaches, you know, they're human too. All right. So they make mistakes and miscalculations and Texas almost had a chance in the game. So I, I am, I am pleased and overjoyed. I, I'm rejoicing actually after that loss, because I'm with you. I know Texas is ahead of schedule. And yeah. the truth is you, you know, they're ahead of schedule because let's look at the reasons they really got beat, right? The reason they really got beat was that defense couldn't hold up. 
And where where did where didn't their defense hold up? It didn't hold up because they couldn't get enough pressure on Michael Penix because they don't have elite pass rushing uh, skills yet. Well, they're bringing that in, right? That's why Trey Moore is coming in the transfer portal. Mm-hmm. That's why Colin Simmons is coming in uh, via recruiting. Those are your two elite pass rushers because they don't have that on the roster yet. So th- that's part of the, the roster construction and and the build. It's just the defense was the last in the last part of roster construction for them. And the last part of that was pass rushers and DBs. What's in this recruiting class? Five DBs. <laughs> mm-hmm. All those guys can cover. They get bringing in McCuba in the transfer portal. They bring in six DBs in this class. Why? Because they know what their biggest weakness is and what couldn't Texas do. They couldn't defend the pass. I want to say Penix targeted his top four wide receivers 20 times and had 19 completions. Had one mm-hmm. incompletion targeting those dudes, right? So that's where Texas is going right now. They're, they're getting their DBs in. They're getting the pass rushes in. And I think Sark told PK – Listen, you got to wait on your roster construction because I'm a, I'm a, I'm a, I need to fix up this offense first. I'm an offensive guy. I need my offense. I need my big humans. I need yeah. my quarterback. I want JT at tight end. I X man's my wide receiver. I'm getting my offense first, and then I'll, I'll help you build your defense in time. And I think that in time, because you can only, you know, you can only address so many positions at a time in talent yeah. acquisition. They're addressing the defense now. They got their Anthony Hill, who's their hybrid defender that can move around the chessboard. They got Derek Williams, cover safety. Got Malik Muhammad. I mean, so they're 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 crafting this defense right now and constructing. To get it's just they're ahead of schedule. So when they got to the college football playoff, I think it was an O-ish moment. Like, man, we're not done building this secondary or our pass rushing, but that's why yeah. the coaches who I talked to that were close, they knew it was a bad matchup for Texas. Like, yeah, they ain't the best matchup for Texas. Yeah. Uh, Texas will have a great game plan, but Texas would have Texas would have made it to the national title game, in my opinion. No BS. If they had faced Bama again and they'd had a better chance they faced Michigan. They're yeah. facing Washington because Washington's weak, their strength was directly matched up and targeted against your biggest weakness, which is pass defense, and they're the best passing offense in the country. Check. Yep, and that was that was the first thing we said when we found out the matchups. Like I remember being like, "Man, it sounds weird, but I'd rather play Michigan than play Washington." And we're even familiar with Washington, but that familiarity against a good coaching staff can be something that could hurt you and. Yeah, the numbers, Rod, for those receivers, you're spot on. Six of six to Odunze, five of five to Polk. McMillan was five of six. So overall, I mean, for the day, 29 of 35, which is crazy. What's even crazier, but it's something that we said Penix is a lead at before the week, before the game, and then I touched on it a second ago, but of his 35 pass attempts, he had 29 completions. He was pressured 20 times. Texas yeah. got pressure. They got zero sacks on wow. 20 pressures. 20 they pressures. Him? They hit him, Matt? They hit him at all? Twice. PFF has 18 hurries, two hits out of 20 pressures. That's like the lowest ratio, honestly, I've ever seen in a box score. I've never seen – you almost never get 20 pressures on a quarterback, especially when he only throws it 35 times. They PFF has 18 hurries down. Byron Murphy had five himself. But Penix just is so – like he literally – he might be better than Joe Burrow at avoiding pressure because like it was – it was absurd watching him. And while I'm on the numbers, I wanted to correct myself on the rushing numbers because I didn't have Quinn's scrambles added into the per carry numbers. So the per carry numbers were 7.3, not over nine. So that's just something I wanted to put out there since I said the wrong number earlier. Yeah. Uh, Sorrell had one of the hits and Ethan Burke had the other one. Uh, yeah. That's you crazy, know, though. Zero sacks and two hits on 20 pressures. I mean, that that was – Matt, you brought Joe Burrow up a couple times. That's probably the last time I saw a quarterback against the Texas defense because I'm watching Texas, obviously, more than I watch any team in the country. Uh, Joe Burrow was probably the last quarterback I saw that would could that was dealing like this facing a Texas defense. Yeah. And the numbers Jeez. under pressure, he huh. scrambled out. It ended up being nine for 15 for 151 yards and a touchdown. So maybe like sacks, they're giving two pressures to one player because when you add up snaps that are kept clean, he was 20 of 23 for 279 and a touchdown, then nine for 15 for 151 and a touchdown. But you're talking 10.1 per attempt, an NFL passer rating of 116.2 Win under pressure. Wow. One thing that I, and we don't have enough time to really get dig into the defense, but one thing I do want to mention, and I'll mention the couple defensive guys. 
I was really encouraged by the fact that you saw some young guys that you know, like there's some guys that have to make decisions, right? Like we've reported at Horns 24-7, Alfred Collins is expected to come back. Uh, it sounds like Jonathan Brooks is going to go ahead and, and enter the NFL draft. Uh, Xavier Worthy, Xavier Worthy didn't know what 24 hours after kickoff before he announced he was entering the draft, which that doesn't shock anybody. But no, uh, yeah, he 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 should go. He's gonna be he's gonna have a chance to be a first round pick. Uh, I, I think I think the same is gonna be true for Ad Mitchell. But you know, you got guys that you know are coming back. Like up front on the offensive line, man, I I love what I saw from DJ Campbell. Like there was, do you remember the play right before the end of the half? Uh, the end of the first half where Ewers, uh, everything broke down, the middle of the field's open. He slides, and then Asa Turner kind of hits him late. Mm-hmm. Uh, man, and, and juxtapose this with what we saw uh, Sark's first year where Hudson Card got hit late and, like, nobody went over there to help him. Dude, Kelvin Banks and DJ Campbell, they were they were ready to start something. And, like, they guys had to pull DJ Campbell away from that. Like, dude, don't get us a penalty right now. Like, we're – right on the goal line like don't worry about that later but the, i like the fact that that's a young cat that understood hey man don't, you don't you don't do that to my quarterback uh not just that go back and watch the byron murphy touchdown run dj campbell drives his guy a good six seven yards off the ball before he buries him in the end zone like i just that dude's nasty and i just like some of the stuff i saw from him the two backs obviously uh i think are gonna be much better for having played in this game. I think Malik Muhammad is going to be much better for having played in this game. Same thing for Anthony Hill. Ethan Burt probably played the best game he's played since, I don't know, maybe before the Oklahoma game when he started dealing with that knee injury. Uh, Alabama. Yeah, just a lot of really good things from guys that you know are going to be back next year that are going to be some of your core guys. Yeah, I agree. I actually like, um, I like what you said, though, about how, the young, some of the young guys, they just had plays like Malik Muhammad had that play where man, the touchdown where he pops it up, he makes a play on the ball. And that's a really hard play to make, guys. He's he's basically coming over to cover the slot receiver from the number one spot and cover him on either skinny, basically kind of a skinny post that they were running. And he still mm-hmm. almost gets there and makes a play on the ball. Yeah. <laughs> he's an mm-hmm. NFL wide receiver, an NFL quarterback. And like I said, next year he makes that play on the football. Uh, at a really high level. So I, I saw I saw flashes. I like what Ethan Berg brought to the table. I saw flashes. But, I mean, this team just has a lot of heart, and they play with a yeah. ton of heart down the stretch. Um, and that's what I think I took most out of it, that this team played a C a minus game, and Washington played an A-plus game, and Texas still had a chance on the last damn play uh, to win it. So that's – I think the days of Texas being, you know, handled – and blown out in these big games, those days are done. I think for a while, people thought that would happen when they were up 13 on Texas and going into the fourth quarter, look like, man, Texas actually might get handled in this game. Nope, they did not. They came back, they fought, and they, they found a way to make it close. So I, I team got a lot of fortitude, a lot of yeah. character. Uh, we're going to miss yeah. that about this group, no question. I asked and Quinn that's about where... Just real quick, I asked Quinn about it after the game. Uh just about what what was he thinking? What was what as because as a quarterback, you got to do this. Talked about it for years, man. By default, it's the number one leader leadership position on the team. And I asked Quinn, I said, What was what was your mindset? I said, What were you trying to convey to the guys when you're down 13? He said, My biggest thing was, hey, we can't get all 13 points back on at once. So we just got to take it one play at a time. Just do your job one play at a time. He said, I know it sounds cliche, but that's kind of just what you had to do and just focus and don't try to think about getting it all back at once. And I, I love the way you framed it, Rod. I, I think that's the best way to to describe this team, man. Their their football character is is very strong. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. And we've seen it on display several times this year. We saw it, I, ironically, uh, I think, and poetically in the last game. And you know, like I said, some of the things rewatching it, they they made sense to me. They're they're constructing the defense now uh, via roster construction, uh, town. <laughs> They're not done with the secondaries, but the secondary looks like it's it, it was the most exposed, right? The weakest part of the defense because they haven't really addressed it just yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're getting the pass rush now. They're addressing that. Those two areas obviously needed need upgrading, and that's where Washington had their biggest advantages. Um, you go look at 
Um, overall, this team has struggled in the red zone, right? They, the one game where they were really good in the red zone was the Oklahoma State game. And that might have been the outlier because even in this game, your last two drives to win the game came down to the Shakespearean irony of it, red zone. Yeah. Uh, and you were one of the worst teams in the country at touchdown percentage in the red zone just because you're not perfect and you couldn't score touchdowns in the red zone. If you had, you win the game. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where you're on the seven yard line and you had to kick a field goal there. Uh, and you end up going down towards the 12 or whatever it was on the last drive and you couldn't score there and you needed touchdowns. And when they, when they got down, I said to myself, damn it, man, this team needing a red zone touchdown in clutch time. <laughs> I just don't know how much faith I have in that because they've been a bad red zone office all season long. And I do think, you know, that's the football gods that your, your season comes down to the, your weakest, your weakest uh, facet on offense. And Texas, uh, they just couldn't get it done. And I think even Sark's frustration with their red zone offense, you can tell he is now shifting his mindset, speaking players, not plays in the red yeah. zone. Did it during yeah. the Oklahoma State game, right? Let's target players, even if they're trick plays for Devondre Sweat or whatever. He's thinking players in the red zone now. That's why you got your Byron Murphy getting uh, getting his hand off. That's why we're throwing the A.D. Mitchell. They're throwing fades, guys. Old school fades. That I is know. the least efficient uh, uh, play you can run in the red zone. And you don't think Sark knows that? He knows it. That's how desperate he is yeah. in the red zone. He's like, I my plays aren't working. So I'm going to go to players. We think players. And that's why even on that, the game-winning drive, potential game-winning drive, when they end up throwing to Jaden Blue quickly, remember mm-hmm. he said that was meant for JT Sanders. It was meant for JT Sanders. Yep. Yeah. But they were covered up, so we decided to just throw it away, basically, or to dump it down. Well, that's start thinking about players, not plays in the red yeah. zone. I think that's a new mentality for him. And by the way, Washington knew that because they double covered JT Sanders. Um, and you could argue that maybe Quinn Ewers on the last play should have thrown a, a, a paintball, right? Or thrown, I heard Janolowski talking about it, should have thrown a back shoulder fade instead of throwing yeah. an over the shoulder fade. But, guys, why didn't – because based on the alignment of Washington's DB, he was playing off coverage, inside leverage. You want to know why he was off coverage, inside leverage in the red zone? Because Texas never throws the back shoulder fade. It's called yeah. film study, people. Right? <laughs> so why the hell why – would I, why would I defend ghosts? I'm not going to guard a route you never run. Was, can anybody remind me the last time Texas ran a paintball or a back shoulder fade in the red zone? Never. They never no. They don't. It's not. It's not a route they run. So my point is, people are like, well, it was wide open. Yeah, it was open because they don't run it. And if they ran it, it would have been a great way to break tendency. But they didn't. And the reason Washington didn't defend it is because Washington's defending the the routes they run the most. Mm-hmm. And the routes they run the most are usually deep fade routes in the end zone, or they went inside breaking routes in the end zone. He was defending inside breaking routes in the deep cuts. Why defend a route Texas doesn't run in the red zone? Can, can I ask you, Rod, can I ask you a, just a football philosophy question in that? I know we only got a couple minutes left, so I want to make this quick. In a clock situation like that where you have no timeouts, can you kind of do a version of what the Cowboys tried to do in that playoff game against the 49ers a couple years ago where you can call a run play or maybe like some kind of stick concept, but in college it favors you more because you don't have to be down by contact. You can just give yourself up as a runner and clock the ball and maybe give yourself an extra, I don't know, five to eight yards without burning too much time off the clock or is that just is that even texas didn't have the time though texas had 15 seconds yeah that's a good point texas ran four plays in 15 seconds i mean if you're going to give up a play that's valuable in my opinion so you so you would you would value you value matt then you value the 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 time more so than the yardage and the four plays yeah and just getting four shots in the end zone Okay. I I, that. No, that makes sense. I just um that was just me spitballing. So I you know, I just I didn't know if that made sense or not, but it's one of the things. It, it, man, trust me, when you get done with that game in, in game situation, just like coaches and everybody else, like fans and people like me are just thinking, man, what what could have been done different? And you go through everything and then maybe you just realize like, you know what? I, I don't know that anything could have been done different. It's just one of those deals where like you said, if if that's what that's the immediate conversation, Rod, we were having in the press box, man. If Quinn puts that more on a back shoulder, you remember the play that A and M ran, uh, not this past, not this season, but last season when they lost Alabama and Tuscaloosa yes. on the last play, where where they asked Haynes King to throw that front pylon throw to Evan Stewart, and that's a throw Haynes King probably can't make. Quinn, yeah. Quinn can make that throw. Oh, I think yeah. it's, I think if Texas runs that play, then we're talking about a team that's going to Houston right now to play for a national championship. 
Yeah, no, I think Texas actually could I could have converted. And I, I do believe it was wide open. My point is that they, Texas never runs it. Yeah. And they've never been a great way to break tendency there. Or that's that maturity you want from Quinn Ewers and why he's coming back. It's like, Quinn, that was open. Mm-hmm. Now, does coach need to, you know, does he need to prep you for that? Do you need to be trained for that? Probably so. But there are some quarterbacks out there who will just throw that. And like, yeah. hey, man, I'm yeah. going to the open space. It's game-winning situation. Open space. You're you're great at adjusting to the football. Your body control is probably your best asset as a receiver. I'm going to throw it there. Either my guy's going to get it or nobody. And he just didn't have that natural instinct as a quarterback, and that's why he's coming back. As my yeah. boy Shannon always says, be coachable. Don't be a robot, though. Go play ball. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this week's show. I know Rod's got to get, and we got some other stuff to take care of, so that will be a good place to stop it, and we'll pick this back up next week. Matt, thanks for everything, man. You're more than welcome. Rod B, appreciate the time and the knowledge. Anytime, brother, anytime. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. For Matt, for Rod, for everybody at 24-7 Sports and Horns 24-7, the Horns 24-7 podcast feed where you can get every episode of Longhorn Blitz. Just search Horns 24-7 wherever you get your podcast. Click that follow button. Get every episode of the Blitz when it drops. And thanks to Matt. Get all of our archives, our classic interviews and shows are available on the Longhorn Blitz SoundCloud page. Yep, just type in Longhorn Blitz. Every sport has their big, juicy controversy. Boxing has the Mike Tyson ear bite. Cycling has Lance Armstrong. Baseball has its steroid era. Curling has... Broomgate. It's a story of broken relationships, houses divided, corporate rivalry, and a performance-enhancing broom. It was a year I'd like to forget. Broomgate. Available now. For the Horns 24-7 family, for the Longhorn Blitz family, I'm Jeff Howell. Thank you so much for downloading and listening, and we will catch you again on the next episode. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.